0: Welcome to the Walter Baisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Millbog Manor Studios, I'm here with my engineer, Jason Harris. Our music was created for us by Jonathan Harmon, and I'm your host, Dylan Rory. Special thanks to Gregory Grazier for putting this one together today and connecting us with today's guest. Today's episode is brought to you by S-Mart. Need a good deal on a boomstick? Shop smart. Shop S-Mart. Today's guest is an actor, writer, and director who began his career the day he picked up his parents' Super 8 camera. Growing up in Queens, New York, he attended New York School of Visual Arts, where he eventually landed in the Screenplay School, until leaving altogether to pursue a career in acting. His first role was in fellow student Jim Murrow's legendary cult classic in a movie that has come up on this podcast many times before, Street Trash. His role as the wisecracking doorman managed to steal the screen in a movie that featured body-melting necrophilia and a game of penis keep-away. Penis keep-away. Penis keep-away. There's a good, that's a, that's a good enunciation exercise. (laughs) From there... He went on to film and television work that led him sharing the big and small screen with Hollywood legends like Jennifer Jason Leigh, David Caruso, Alan Arkin, Valerie Harper, Bruce Davidson, Estelle Getty, Lawrence Fishburne, Tom Hanks, Al Pacino, Sam Rockwell, and Jerry Orbach. However, he would not be on this podcast if he didn't also carry a heavy load of serious cult cred. Here's a list of folks he's worked with that you're- Joan Jett, Rutanya Alda, Jan Saint, Louise Lasser, Patty Mullen, William Hickey, Matt Dillon, Louise Guzman, Shirley Stoller. Shirley fucking Stoller, you guys. John Zacherly, Abel Ferrara, Phoebe Legere, Fred Decker, Debbie Harry, Tony Darrow, Paul Bartel, Jessica Harper, and William Forsythe. And that's just a handful. His short film, Swirly, which he co-wrote, directed, and stars in, has been making the rounds in cult film circles for years, and we eagerly await the feature film version. Please welcome a man who was paid $11 stunt pay for being piked onto a fire hydrant by Christopher Walken, the one and only James Lawrence. Well, hello, boys. How are you, sir?
1: Very good. That was quite an intro there.
0: (laughs) I try to cover a lot of bases. Uh, I usually have misinformation in there, so Mm -hmm. feel free to correct away.
1: (laughs) Well, there might have been some, but I don't mind it at all.
0: Oh, Okay, good. Good. We'll just keep it. We'll say it's true. Although you left out Montgomery Clift. Oh, of course. How could I forget? You're in summer of 42 with him, weren't you?
1: Uh, yes.
0: <laughs> so you grew up in Queens, New York. What was your childhood like there?
1: Well, it was, uh, you know, normal. I grew up in a, a you know, blue collar neighborhood, you know, apartment building, um, You know, I guess we were called the latchkey kids, you know, both parents worked and I went to school and and um, it's funny, we had a we had some crazy neighbors in my building. I'm just remembering now uh, there was a guy upstairs. We only knew him as Angela's brother. And um, yeah, he he was, you know, he had a little cuckoo uh, stuff going on. And uh, every once in a while, he would chase her downstairs and she would be banging on door. We were on the first floor. And one time she had a huge welt on her head. He hit her oh, with a shit. bat, you know, and uh, he cornered me once. And I'm, I was only like eight, eight, maybe seven, eight years old. And I'm walking into the apartment building and he was right there by the mailboxes, scared to death. You know, when you run into him, yeah. and he grabbed me and he held my stomach and he he shook my stomach like, <laughs> like he wanted me to laugh. You know, I suspect I might have been molested, too. I just don't remember. Jesus
0: Christ ah new york in the golden days just
1: a normal childhood
0: <laughs> so your dad owned a taxi company
1: yeah is that correct oh yeah okay. at one point, economy car service it was
0: called okay and yeah. what did your mom do
1: uh well uh she well she was a, a stay-at-home mom but then my my father went away for a while and then she worked at a uh. company called household finance which okay. was, you know, they gave out small loans to people, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like the Bailey building and loan. I mean, so All right, you know, okay.
0: <laughs> company, you know,
1: till she lost five thousand dollars and she got her you know, got fired.
0: <laughs> the money's in his house, in <laughs> her house. Bob's roof. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I get the feeling I've listened to a lot of interviews with you and I and you've never flat out said it but you've made a ton of illusions and already here you've made a couple you're obviously into old hollywood
1: yeah sure i love yeah. uh, i love all that old uh nostalgia any any nostalgia at all yeah i i do but movies especially i i have a problem watching you know anything past like 2000, 2000. really I, yeah i just you know i mean i, I try but you know, if a good old, you know, Humphrey Bogart movie comes on or, yeah. you know, one of those film noirs in the 40s or 50s, you know, oh, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll watch it. What's your favorite of those? Well, well, you know, it's funny. I have a few, but I, I have a DVR here that I have my, you know, the, the, the fabulous 15, you know, films mm-hmm. that I have on. So that includes Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which oh, I think is a
0: fantastic. Uh, it
1: doesn't fall into the Walter Paisley movie no. house
0: no uh, but it's it's but a it, great it film a,
1: yeah and, and i thought it was probably i think maybe bogart's best role ever uh as the as the, he slowly starts losing his mind you mm-hmm. know unlike the k mutiny which was very good but in this right. one he he's actually uh pretty disturbing <laughs> yeah you
0: know uh,
1: yeah it, so and i'll watch that i'll watch double indemnity that's a good oh, one.
0: that's uh, my favorite
1: with um stanley you know. yeah yeah, you know, yeah really it's my favorite
0: that's a good the, one. Good the score. scene where he's killing her husband and she's driving <laughs> with just that deadpan look in those sunglasses—it's weird how much that scene arouses me.
1: What are you blowing the horn
0: for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. Oh, I love that movie. I—that's I, my go-to whenever I just want to watch an oldie. I'll pull that one out.
1: You know, I guess I, I, I mean, I also love movies from the seventies. I think that was a, a really mm-hmm. interesting time where, where Hollywood really changed and we started getting these, you know, true to life, realistic, you know, portrayals of movies, uh, you know, the Godfather, Serpico, you know, all mm-hmm. of these movies that were told now in a different, you know, they weren't, uh, they weren't campy in terms of Hollywood style. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. And I was very, uh, very much influenced by all the Scorsese films, of course, like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull and mm-hmm. Mean Streets, mean you know, some streets, of the early yeah. stuff. It's really, you know, really I good. imagine
0: being a New York kid and seventies movies kind of gloried in that seedy New York of that era, seeing landmarks that you walked past probably occasionally and things was pretty exciting. Yeah.
1: Uh, and they'd be filming in our neighborhoods, some, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times, uh, Uh, There was a movie called Going in Style. Uh, It starred Art Carney. Yeah, um, it was some of these three old guys that rob a bank. Right. But they shot in our neighborhood. I remember we went down watching them shoot and see Art Carney like walking to his trailer. (laughs) Ah, cool. It was really. uh, I think one of us threw a rock at him, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it hit him or not, but he 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 didn't come out anymore after that. Signing the autographs. But no, that was a sign of affection when you get hit with a rock.
0: (laughs) That's the Queen's Greetings. It's a tradition. Yeah. (laughs) What was your local movie theater that you'd go to?
1: It was the Astoria Theater on Steinway Street. There was also another theater down the block. Uh, It was a Lowe's, or as we called it, Mm -hmm. Lowe's. (laughs)
0: Lowe's. And it was
1: (laughs) the Lowe's Triborough, which was this beautiful, grand you know what by that time in the 70s it had already been run down and mm-hmm. you know you know those giant movie palaces that they yeah. had they they i remember the last movie that played there was the day of the dolphin with uh george c scott yeah yeah and uh that's a but that was uh, those were the two theaters you know
0: cool and i assume you were a movie kid you were going and watching yeah movies. well movie that's kid. what
1: we could do you know yeah. I mean, my mother used to drop us off me and my sister, we'd watch the movie three times and then she'd pick us up and work. I mean, yeah. that's why, you know, I remember Jaws. That was like every day for two months we <laughs> saw the movie. You know, didn't matter where we came in and went out. You know. So, uh, and, and you know, there was something nice about that. I mean, I guess kids that get exposed to the, there are no movie theaters anymore. I mean, I don't know, you know, I mean, th- that whole idea of going to the movies as, you know, as a routine thing, you know, today, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, you know, you got to make a reservation. You pick your seat. Right. You get, you know. Sometimes you don't even buy a ticket at the booth, right? You, you yeah, just buy it, and you're, you know. Uh, but they make it easier to sneak into the other movies now. That's Nobody really cares. There's <laughs> no
0: dorming around. Go
1: ahead. You know, you want to see the three movies? You know, go ahead.
0: Right. So, <laughs> I'm kind of hopeful that with the pandemic killing off a lot of those big mega theaters, that there'll be a resurgence of the small. Hopefully yeah. art house revival theater showing some of those vintage films. I my vividly remember my mother taking us to see, I was like eight and we went to see Giant, her favorite oh, movie. Yeah. And you know, at eight, it was all over my head. But I do remember just the scope seeing it on the screen there. Yeah. And I feel sad that kids aren't gonna see that if they're well, watching it on a big the, screen the, at home. The
1: communal viewing was the thing, you know. Where, yeah. you know, you got people talking back to the screen, not even realizing they're in a movie theater, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I remember I went to see uh, Hardly Working with Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was just me and my friend and saying there's nobody in there. And some guy just, I don't know, he looked up on the screen and he goes, the man does not get old. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, you're kind of, you're, you're putting your money where your mouth is. You, you've got this cafe uh running i have been reading about and uh you know showing it's not, movies I,
0: they they let me show movies there <laughs> yeah um little yard coffee here in indianapolis we do monthly movie showings yeah. there but that's um, something
1: that you know i mean yeah I, I saw some pictures i mean it's nice and kind of intimate and, you, and people can come in and you don't charge yeah.
0: no anybody. and i guess they could free. buy
1: coffee or whatever they want there and yeah
0: yeah, and it's soon. a lot of fun it is that yeah. it's i encourage people to talk to the screen you know riff the movie because we're not <laughs> yeah. watching you know right classics yeah. here <laughs> yeah in yeah. fact the first movie I, well, showed... no, I i
1: disagree i i think a lot of the movies you know y- you you talk about they're so bad they're good yeah and and yes that's true because that's what makes them irreverent you know mm-hmm. but that's why they're good movies you know yeah. like they, they, they didn't start out to try to be bad. right you know uh, although a lot of a lot of them never get that bad so they just stink right. <laughs> and then, you know you don't
0: see them again. it's always for me the key to those is commitment if anybody ever winks at the screen it's over i'm done i'm out but if they're committed 100 to the most absurd material then i'm in and, what did you show last uh last month was tarantula and oh that's a great one! Oh, so much fun jack arnold directed you know it's just yeah. but the, I,
1: th- I think the effects were pretty uh effective in that that fucking thing crawling around it's
0: pretty good i mean it looks great yeah. it's huge it's yeah. you know the whole thing is the concept is just completely stupid but who cares it's so much fun um after that somebody sent me somebody and made a cartoon of that and it showed the scene with the tarantula and uh, crawling across the desert at him and a helicopter with a giant boot getting ready to drop it on it uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me what
1: did you what did you pair that with what was the um other piece?
0: what was that other one jason was it deadly prey deadly prey yeah the oh, okay. 1986 right. classic yeah perfect yeah. the When we started this, um, gosh, it was three years ago, I think, three or four years ago. um, First movie I showed was Street Trash. And it was basically, I wanted to see what the audience could take. (laughs) Well,
1: that's the litmus test right there. I mean, uh, (laughs) did they know what they were going to watch?
0: Nope. It was I'd advertised it and said it's a body melt movie. And horror fans (laughs) showed up and they went, Well, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) It's the perfect movie. It is the perfect movie.
1: Well, We'll, yeah, I guess so.
0: we'll dive into that. We'll dive into that in a minute. Um so you 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 grew up in Queens. Um, you were an usher at the Beekman, was that high school? No, that
1: was uh, my first year. I went to the School of Visual Arts. Yeah, that's where I met Greg Garayzer. Okay, uh, okay. Was, uh, uh, and um, and you know, you, you needed. I didn't get a job, and and they hired a lot of people from the school for, for usher jobs because it's a mm-hmm. good way. And and it, I worked for a chain called Cinema Five. It was a small movie chain. They owned about I don't know, maybe a half a dozen theaters throughout Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And it was just like the '40s. You know, I went to meet this guy. He was in Time. I remember his office overlooked Times Square, but like, you know, like real awesome. dingy kind of office. Yeah. And he looked at my, he goes, okay, all right. He's looking at my resume. All right. Report to the Beakman tomorrow, 6 p.m. Like, it was like the, the 40s. Like, all right, get him over there. <laughs> so I reported there and uh, I, I was there for him. About five years. It's, wow. it's a good job. I mean, we didn't make any money until we learned how to steal, of course. Of course. <laughs> we were calming tickets. Uh, <laughs> and uh, boy, then I wasn't even cashing my checks anymore. You know, It's just like, you know, here's an interesting note. Um, the Beekman is where Woody Allen used to screen all of his films. Like, that. Yes. He loved that theater because it was yeah. a single screen. It had these, these reclining seats. It was really nice. And he would come and do a test uh, uh the night before hit personally <laughs> you know make sure it was calibrated and you know and uh i remember it was for Zelig, and Zelig was a very short film i think it was only 77 minutes yeah so they were able to squeeze in an extra show and they made a lot more money because mm-hmm. of you know but it was a real strain on the staff you know and he actually well his production company i shouldn't say him uh they gave us all a bonus of one week's pay oh, oh nice one. yeah i thought that was uh You know they don't do things like that anymore. Yeah. So in addition to stealing the money, getting my regular pay plus a bonus, wow! You know, they can't prosecute me. Too much time has gone by. Oh yes,
0: the statute of limitations is gone. I I hope.
1: I hope so. Wait a minute! There's a knock at my door.
0: (laughs) So you were going to the School of Visual Arts. And um, I heard you say that you, st- you, you, the technical stuff just wasn't your bag. So you went to the screenwriting yeah. school at that point.
1: Yeah, well, it was a major. You could switch around in mm-hmm. order to be a, a directing major. You part of your project by the fourth year, you had to make a film. Mm-hmm. But they don't tell you you have to pay for your film. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was expensive then. I mean, today it's so great. These little, I mean, the phone can shoot a feature film now. It's, it's right like the quality. Then you had to, you know, you had to go to the lab and get the film processed, and you know, uh, and so I, I sort of figured, well, writing is a good way of expressing creative ideas and so yeah I, I did that but i didn't make it i got of yeah. it for three years <laughs> i took an acting class there that everybody had to take called uh uh, dir- uh acting for directors how to work with an actor you know like mm-hmm. it's one thing to know what you want to do but then how do you get it across to somebody without you know was and, that with uh,
0: bob brady that you worked yeah, with there yeah. yeah okay Bob
1: brady encouraged me no one ever really said he said listen i don't know what your plan what you, but you might want to consider pursuing this it's not mm-hmm. you know just everybody gives you the same story it's very unpredictable and yeah that. but uh, he uh so i i quit and i started i studied with him privately for a little bit okay. he had a studio he had a loft on 14th street he taught specifically acting for film which is very different yeah. from doing uh, a, a theater you know, piece. Mm-hmm. And then I did study some theater acting at the American Theater of Actors, uh uptown on 54th and 8th with a guy named James Jennings, who's still there and still in business. Wow. And, cool. And uh and I that street trash is really how I got started. I if it wasn't for that, I had one line in the,
0: in the yeah. movie.
1: <laughs> I no, I, I he you know the Roy Frumpkus, the producer, he was mm-hmm. my production teacher. Right. And he says, you know, I, I know you're trying to get started. You know, here's a, a little part, a little bit part for you. You know, just to get you. St- I said thank you, and I worked on the line, and I invented business. Like, oh, I'll have a banana, and I, I was trying to pad the role. You know, <laughs> and then he, you know, Tony Darrow was, uh, you know, you're waiting around a set, so we started fucking around with each other. You know, joking around, insulting, and everybody was laughing, and the director was like, hey, you know, why don't we use some of this yeah. in the scene? So. We improvised, but it was like we improvised and the director edited it down, you know to yeah, All right, why don't you say this, say that you know and um, and then they they kept calling us back as it looked good. you know it mm-hmm. was it was nice to have a comic relief in yeah. between the rape,
0: gang rape and penis oh, yeah.
1: I think it's, <laughs> it's good to have a little breather, <laughs> you know, for the audience.
0: So we're let's just dive into it. we'll we'll get into street trash a little bit. So you and Jim Murrow, the writer director, well, co writer director of that, were at school together. No, uh, you know, he was a year behind me. Behind you, okay.
1: And uh, but he had already had a reputation. Street Trash was a short film he made, mm-hmm. yeah. an original short, and uh, so. Uh, but his he that whole film he was able to to buy, I guess you know, is a Steadicam op- operating equipment. So that movie street trash if you notice it's all steadicam yeah so it was his sort of real <laughs> his yeah. calling card and he, he does all the biggest movies now he's the number one Steady Cam operator he never directed again okay but, yeah jason um, and
0: i were wondering if he was still the go-to for Cam.
1: well i think there's a few different ones now and the technology has changed i, I think mm-hmm. a lot of the cameras have their built-in gyroscopes or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it you know So, but I I know he works a lot with uh, Clint Eastwood and with uh, uh, Kevin Costner and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, you know, in that sense, I mean, he was a big success, I believe, you know, yeah. Uh, it's funny because it's tech, I
0: mean, technical op
1: camera operating, steady cam operating, you know, that type of thing. So,
0: but uh, it's, I had read a, um, a quote from Roy Frumke's on it, and he said when he was writing it, he wanted to. I, I'll, I'll i'll paraphrase here but democratically offend as many people as possible and i think he did an admirable job yeah well he he actually
1: was doing that before the movie himself <laughs> no but that yeah i you know I, I mean, in one way fun, that was a fun way of putting it you know uh yeah and, and so is he just so, an, acer-
0: an acerbic guy
1: no no he's he's oh. actually a real soft tender man uh
0: um
1: at least his bottom is <laughs> you know he, he's funny uh, everybody's always asking him why, why don't you do street trash two let's do a sequel let's do so he wrote a sequel but it so much time had passed like almost 15 20 years so he called mm-hmm. it street trash three <laughs> there was no two but uh by then i think that you know that there's no sequel to that you know you know right. <laughs> you, you know you can't improve on you know
0: it is one of those movies that it, it's one of those i wish i didn't know a lot of the backstory on i would enjoy it more um <laughs> just simply because there's some you know well you, you bring up the gang rape and it it comes out of nowhere and it's so brutal as they're dragging her out and then you yeah. find out the actress had been terribly assaulted years yeah i had
1: no idea either about that yeah
0: Yeah. and um you know there were she was trying to deal with that as that you know that scene well, really it brought a may lot of have that been, it
1: may have been therapeutic for i don't know maybe to, to you know maybe there was a way that that this was just a movie and fake i, I you know mm-hmm. i mean i i don't think there was any real penetration in that scene no, uh, no. but who knows <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean,
0: you know yeah you know at that point you just see her getting drug out and you know yeah. what's going to happen which is of course always worse um i think than showing it um, that, that she was really good that's all any type of scene like that
1: where there's some brutality involved like you know to you have to be a very good actor to do that it's not just you know because it does affect you i you know i mean maybe she you know i mean i i I hope she's found peace with it i i don't know yeah
0: Yeah, I i don't either um it's just one of those things that when you find it out it it Makes it a little more difficult to enjoy. Oh, you—you you really it.
1: brought this podcast down. Let's
0: just—that's what I do. That's what I do. I—I wow. I, I take it and turn in a dark direction. I don't even want to
1: go. I, you know
0: what? I'm done with everything. I quit. <laughs> well, let's talk about the premiere though. You guys premiered at Lincoln Center. You all yeah. show up on a garbage truck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was great, and it was a real garbage
1: truck, right? it was real and it was freshly full of garbage i get stunk i mean i'm not kidding i remember that you know like i used to call it garbage the juice was coming out of the bottom oh, of it. Jesus! and uh but you know it, it it was that was a it was vestron
0: that mm.
1: that that uh, was it vestron uh so they actually paid for a premiere i mean you know they they yeah. had i mean we got reviewed in the times and crying out, you know um, but, uh, yeah, they, they had the, the floodlights going, you know, like mm-hmm. it was a Hollywood thing. We all wore tuxedos, you know.
0: Oh, nice. It, um, my grandparents were there. <laughs> I was going to ask, because yeah. you said your family all showed up.
1: how yeah. oh, go? Yeah. <laughs> they loved it. I mean, you know, I, I guess, I mean, I, I, my grandparents seemed proud of me. I don't know if they knew what they were watching, but, you know.
0: You did a fine job, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With thick <laughs> German accents, you got to you know, put that in. There. <laughs> or are are your grandparents first generation American? Uh, well, no, but they never really assimilated.
1: They they're from Austria. they were Austrian. My grandfather was Austrian. And
0: okay. He was
1: born here, but as an infant, they took him back to Austria. Okay. And uh, and he kind of was raised there, so he never never really, you know. And uh, of course, he got out right in the beginning of uh, mm-hmm. when, the, when the fascists were taking over and Hitler right. was, you know, yeah. um, starting to gain power. And they realized this is not good, you know, mm-hmm. so they got out. Although he was very impressed with Hitler, you know, he um, he I, I said, I said, Grandpa, didn't you see like the, what the danger of this was and what was going on? And he has the stick axe and he goes, Jimmy, let me tell you. When I, before Hitler, I had to walk three miles into the farm where I was working, right? I said, oh, okay. Because when Hitler came in, they put us in a truck and drove us. So I said, okay, so you got to lift to work. So therefore, you know.
0: It's it's all excusable then. That's
1: kind of what's, you know, the the whole thing is happening again, you know. Well, yeah. There's people that are not so bright that are, you know.
0: Yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I,
1: I, no, I don't mean anything by grandpa. Well, he's dead now. I don't know
0: if he's right? gonna hear this, but <laughs> yeah, me, liked Hitler. Ah, what so. You <laughs> <laughs> he so, you did street trash, and it becomes almost immediately an underground film. Uh, it it's showing up at midnight movies. Uh, I discovered as a teenager through Fangoria, they did a, a really good spread on it actually before it even came out. I think I remember out. that. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually still own it. Um, and it it was one of those that stuck with me in my youth. Um, I got the first VHS that I could of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that for a while. <laughs> um, but you were noticed by frank hennenlotter in that and he contacted you and said hey i want you in this movie and then you don't hear from him for a year no no i thought it was a gag call
1: i didn't know it was (laughs) and and he did call a year later you know yeah um,
0: by that point he'd done basket case and brain damage um and and built kind of a pedigree for himself yeah
1: yeah i I think you i think you you know I, i would put him in the vein of 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 new york or tour filmmakers he definitely he does his own stuff he doesn't really let anybody you know um you know he he has freedom he has you know i mean not complete freedom i mean there were some things that they had cut out of frankenooker for whatever reasons but uh they were dumb like they weren't even like uh it wasn't even like a nude scene or something that was, right? You know, it it, it may have been showing some drug paraphernalia, some you know, <laughs> which uh, yeah.
0: Didn't which, you guys? And we've moved on to Frankenhooker for our listeners who don't know. Um, didn't wasn't there some blowback about you were showing how crack is smoked, and you weren't allowed to show that? I think that's
1: probably what it was too. I mean, they showed the beginning of it, but not yeah. exactly how you use the pie. I, yeah, things like that. It was. Yeah. It, it seemed yeah. like that was, uh, you know, that was more uh, offensive than, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, murdering prostitutes and using <laughs> their body parts. You know, it's it's interesting. You know what they find. Uh, well, Heninlotta tells the story about. Uh, you know, when it went up to the rating, you know, the, the MPAA looks at it and they called him up and said, hey, congratulations, you got the first S rating. And he's like, what do you mean, S? He says, well, S for shit. And he was so offended. They actually had to apologize. Yeah, didn't they have know. to write
0: him a written apology? Uh, Shapiro
1: Glickenhaus, actually, they, they said, "What? who the fuck are you? Right. Like, in other words, I don't care if you don't like the movie. I, who are you? This is, you know, and that's, you know, that's where the censorship angle is just ridiculous because mm-hmm. you know they'll they'll show you know 40 you know murders or you know in something and give it a, a pg-13 rating but
0: show a, you a know, pair of tits you know, and there's are getting an r
1: frankenhooker there is no profanity in that movie not one curse mm-hmm. word and there's no gore there's no blood it's all right. kind of very similarly you know campy kind of like street trash in the yeah. sense of uh but they just hated it. They did, they just hated it you know, and that's what that's why it's a good
0: movie because it, it got into a lot of people's skin, you know. Yeah, um, and it and it like all of Hin and Lauder's films, he he's kind of like Stuart Gordon in that there's always this underlying message in there, and he's yes. he's making it with some kind of moral code, mm-hmm. and in Frankenhooker's case, and in and Brain Damages as well, you're getting into the idea of giving yourself over to addiction and the problems that can happen with that frankenhooker also deals a lot with misogyny yeah yeah and and you know
1: we don't it's not you're not hit over the head with it no but it's like it's like you know my character who the fuck are you who do you who are you to say i'm gonna build a woman that's better looking or that you know right that that i want you know and so you know we're laughing at him to the thing but he's he's not a good guy you know and um the great thing is he gets it at the end he, he gets yeah. what's coming to him you know and and um so you know morally it's got a, an uplifting ending at least you mm-hmm. know she's alive and she's you know oh you wanted the perfect woman well here it is right and he's got better tits than she does at the end, <laughs> you know
0: and it's one of those and i've heard you talk about this a lot where in it's as you're watching the film, I remember watching it. I don't know how many times I've seen it. Um, I've even shown it at, at the coffee house. Um, you have a lot of time where it's just you, and yeah. you're just talking. And I've yeah. heard you talk about how you were ad-libbing, and Hen and Loder started working with around that with you.
1: Well, he realized he couldn't stop me. so and then he said well shit either i either i try to control this and get my angle on it and that's what we did you know he and it turned out to to be a nice sort of team because we both appreciated a lot of nostalgic humor and Mm -hmm. and and things like that so you know he would say that's not funny how about that you know what i mean so so we would work it out and then do another take and you know he would pick and choose you know what what he liked out of it but uh Yeah, because, you know, if I didn't do that, if I didn't do all this mumbling and wisecracking, Mm -hmm. it would have been a much darker film, which I think he wanted. So, you know, if I'm on screen the whole time and I'm just morose and, and, you know, that's what's setting the tone for the movie. And, you know, any actor's job, regardless of what the character is, you've got to find some type of redeeming quality. Sure. Otherwise, it's just too easy to hate you. There's got to be something that that you're a little conflicted with that you kind of don't want to root for, but like, and that's what builds the, you know, the tension, the drama. So uh, being able to be kooky or quirky with being funny in that Mm -hmm. stuff, uh, it at least helped. um, I don't know. I think it made it a lighter film, which, you know, maybe that wasn't the case, you know, because his other films, you know, Basket Case. You know they're, they're, they're a little bit more serious, yeah. <laughs> a little bit more dark,
0: you know. Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's there. He he does this weird mix of slapstick and yeah. very morose, is the great yeah. word for it. Um, theme, themes running through it, right? And it, you're right, it's very easy to turn it into a very dark film, but. Yeah. Um, and in the case of frankenhooker there there are moments where you are basically a one-man abbott and costello you're giving yourself straight lines and then giving yourself punch lines back and there's a lot well, it, of that well, going it, on it, that...
1: it kind of made sense because the guy is going losing his marbles yeah. a little bit and he is nuts to begin with so mm-hmm. you know it fit it, it wasn't like it was out of left field and that's why yeah you know i think he he went along with it because it was <laughs> you know it, it was it showed that the the demise of the guy you know uh you know when he puts the drill in his head you know that was the one scene right. i just couldn't understand i <laughs> i said i don't understand this and he, and he just kept saying don't worry about it yeah it'll be good you'll be good don't worry about it. and i was like <laughs> okay you know so and you were he, working uh,
0: with patty mullen and this was i believe her first film
1: uh maybe maybe you may be right
0: um but you know when you're when you're Getting into this, you're still pretty fresh actor. You'd only done one movie between Street Trash and this, Last Exit, Last Exit to Brooklyn, which is a really interesting film. Yeah. I really enjoy that movie. Yeah, talk um, about dark
1: and Morose. There, you know. we're, gonna come, road, we're gonna come. We're gonna come
0: back to that one in a minute because yeah. I want to talk to you about a few people yeah. and things in it. But, um, well, actually, this is a good time to go back to it because in that film, you're working with um, like Jennifer Jason Lee, who is to me one of the greatest working actors today i agree she's amazing
1: well even then i thought she was like very you know and um you know it's funny you know even she it's like an actor that that's very you know famous or notable or or has done such work she had doubts i used to you know i was always watching how the director was working with the actors and you know Uli Adel, who directed it, he, he didn't speak much English. You know, he was a German yeah. director. Uh, he also was driven out to the farmland, I understand, oh, uh, really? uh, with uh, Hitler. Uh, he, he Anyway, he, uh, she was telling him, she's, listen, I don't, this doesn't feel right to me. Why he wanted her to be over the top doing this. Go fuck your mother and all this stuff yeah. that she didn't want to do. And, she, and, and And he was trying to convince her. And, you know, I don't know how he, you know, he, she just trusted him and said, well, okay. I mean, he did do a movie called Christian F before, which was about a a prostitute in Germany. And it was a very, very brutal, but well-received film for the performances. So the guy must know something. Mm -hmm. And she followed along with it. And I, and I, I remember, I don't know if it was at a screening or something she was talking about, you know, he was right. Like, I didn't want to go that way. Like that wasn't my instinct. It felt unnatural, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he kind of knew what he wanted. So, yeah, but she was able to make that, that adjustment. Some people can't, you know, and right. Th- then what do you do? You know, like me and Frankenhooker, you know, when you can't make the adjustment <laughs> and you just start blabbing.
0: <laughs> it, when you're working in a film, these genre jumps that you do, that you've done throughout your career, um, you're still making a movie when it all boils down to it, you're making a movie, right? So when you're going in and you're approaching these things from director to director, what is it that would you say as an actor first day on set, how long does it take you to start to get kind of the general vibe of how this shoot's going to go?
1: About five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really should have a sense of that before,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, in five minutes, uh, and that means you could also have a sense that you're doomed. <laughs> like, you know, you're you,
0: you, you taking six of, hours he, to set up lights and
1: well, that's always the case, you know, like with with Frankenhooker, Lotta seemed to be very prepared, meaning mm-hmm. so he could spend time fooling around with maybe different takes or different things. But he, I, I didn't, I mean, I I, I'm assuming he had storyboards who, you know, he, he was, it, it was set up already to follow a plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas some people don't have a plan and,
0: and <laughs> we'll get to Abel know, Ferrara in a minute. Don't worry. <laughs> well, the man without a plan. <laughs> but uh, throughout your career, I've, there's a lot of New York. You're obviously a New York guy. Um, and this actually leads us very well to Abel Ferreira because your next movie then was King of New York, which was mm-hmm. directed by him and uh, another definite auteur, one of the New York auteurs like and Loder. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: listen, um, we, we, we're we laughing at him and, you know, he's a real character. We, we've seen all, we've seen that Letterman footage of him. Oh, uh, sure. You know, but, but you know what? He, he lives... In his own world, and and he's very very dedicated to filmmaking, mm-hmm. and uh, so whether he has to lie, cheat, whatever he does, he gets his wants to get his movie made. But he, he's an interesting director because you know when I went up to meet him, I I was he was living in a loft. I think he was on 14th Street or something, and I go up and there's nobody there. Somebody says, "Oh, he'll be with you in a minute." And I'm waiting there like. 15 minutes, you know, I could walk out with half of the stuff, you know, in in the law. Then he came in and he made me a cup of coffee. And um, we sat down like at his kitchen table. It was very strange. He looked like he just got up. I don't know. And that's fine. Maybe he slept late. So, and we're talking. We're talking for a good 30 minutes, maybe 20, 30 minutes, just like we are, you know, talking about Mm -hmm. movies. And he's laughing, I'm laughing. And finally, I just said, Is there anything you want me to, to read? you know, they sent me here as an audition, you know, for the King, of, and he goes, no, 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 I'm going to use you, but I, I don't know what, uh, and I go, well, is, what part? But he goes, well, I don't know, maybe a cop or something, but no, I, I, I'm going to use you. So he's a guy that gets the energy from somebody and then figures it out later, like I want to work on this, but I don't know how, and a lot of directors do that. Like, yeah, they David don't read, Lynch they don't kind audition of famously you. does
0: that, yeah. Like,
1: he almost doesn't even want you to do the words. It's like, well, if I don't get a sense of who you are and what I want in a regular meeting and uh but that that's where it burned me because I was trying to do the frankenhooker stuff mm-hmm. in the king of new york playing this wise ass cop detective mm-hmm. and uh you know it wasn't about that right <laughs> so he let me go and did, you know nobody said stop that you know or whatever like Right. all of it got cut out you know, so, which is fine. I'm still in it a little bit, but you know, I, again, I was not a fully trained actor at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just kind of still just relying on my instinct and 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 whatever, which 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 will kill you in the in the long run because you've got to have some type of back, you know, uh, some some something to fall back on when things aren't happening, <laughs> they're not working, or you know, so. Um, but he, he's a. Uh, uh, I admire him. He's he's inspirational, you know, uh, in, in in his own way. I mean, so is Scorsese. Uh, you, I would put him in that category. And and mm-hmm. um, um, uh, oh, who's the other? Uh, there's a couple of New York filmmakers
0: that. Uh, oh, Woody hold, Allen, of course.
1: I know it's hard to mention him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, I would, but it's just um, it's just not any good anymore. It's, no. No, no matter which way you look at it, I mean, it, you could work.
0: almost do it if his more recent films were at least good, but they're not. It's, it's, um, well, I, I don't we often struggle at- with the artist versus the art. Um, you know, I, I can separate those two things. Um, but lately his art sucks, but
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you could say that, and it's also people want it to suck, you know, it's, it's, it's not. Sure. However, he does make one movie a year. And mm-hmm. who, the, who the hell does that? You know, right. You could say, well, that well, they're not all good. Maybe one out of ten, you know, okay, mm-hmm. but that's what he does, you know. Yeah. that's what Abel does. You know, he he lives for the next film, for the yeah. next, you know. Well, John uh,
0: Alvidson. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of New York John guys. G. John G. Alvidson, excuse me. <laughs> um, a lot of those New York guys that um would were just kind of fell into that art tour theory in the late 60s early 70s um we have lloyd kaufman here and and yeah. he was definitely he's part a, of a, that a, movement. A,
1: he fits in that vein you know yeah in that you know although you know and he's very specific in his you know it's like he's an offshoot of like roger corman type yeah you know what i mean but but you know he's very um consistent in his product like what he puts out like he mm-hmm. knows there's an audience and he's got people that love this stuff you know yeah. um you know i i don't think you you know i don't think you'd see him remaking the ice man cometh <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he, would, yeah, he would it'd be
0: spelled
1: c-u-m <laughs> right,
0: but... <laughs> right. <laughs> right so when you're as a New York guy doing these New York movies early on um, and not having the formal acting training, I I've heard you say in a couple interviews that you, you would just watch and you, you use the term steal. I would steal things from people. I'd see what they were doing and take it and add that to my catalog, which I think is what any good artist does. You don't,
1: because whatever you steal, it's not going to be an imitation of what somebody else is doing. So right. they don't, you know, it, you may be stealing just an approach to something, but or outright stealing it. And, mm-hmm. and but because it's coming out of you, people think, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's weird. Or that's, you know, meanwhile, it's taken right out of the best years of our lives <laughs> or, you know, right out of the community line for yeah. line.
0: <laughs> what would be an example of that that you've used?
1: Yeah. Um, well, only lately I've I've admitted to stealing. So you know, <laughs> it, it would be things that um, you know. Well, uh, let's see. What could I? That's a good. You know what? I, I got to get an answer for that and have a stock answer for that <laughs> the next time.
0: I'm trying. That's to, the reason uh, I do a lot of research is so I know all your stock answers so I can get around them.
1: <laughs> I know there's stuff in there. I, I'm trying to think in Frankenucker if there was. I know whenever I'm shaking hands with somebody, I try to pretend I'm shaking hands with Mr. Potter and like, you know, because <laughs> no, no, I don't need 24 hours. I don't get, get I don't, you know, and, it, and it, it, it's not that you would do the whole thing, sure. but you would, you would just imitate that. You're internalizing that. You know, that when all least. else fails, steal. That's, you know, that's mm-hmm. all I can say, you know, uh, I mean, I, I think as I've gotten older, I've learned a little bit more technique in, in what to do, mm-hmm. uh, Take it more serious, you know, but yeah. um, you know, and, and a lot of times it's for your own self-amusement. <laughs> like someone says, Wow, that was great. I go, Well, that was stolen from uh, you know, it's a mad, 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 mad world, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, Oh,
0: you know. Yeah, i was doing Phil Silvers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you kids. Um <laughs> being in New York, which is really the hub for acting where if you want to go be a serious actor New York's the place real I mean it's the stereotype you go to New York to learn acting you go to Hollywood to become a movie star and when you're working there and you said you'd studied where I I missed that. what was the school again where you studied I can't think of any better place to cut off than with my flawless Bill Silver's impersonation what do you think of James Lawrence? I really like that guy. He's a lot of fun, has fun with what he's doing. And if you haven't seen his movies, please get out and check him out. If you haven't seen Frankenhugger, why are you even listening to this podcast? Next week, we have a very special episode coming up. This time with Dana Gould. Not only a great comic, a great writer, great actor. Also the caretaker for Mela Nirmie, a.k.a. Vampira, the one and only original late night horror host. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about that and his upcoming new season of Hanging with Dr. Z. I hope you're getting out and about in the world and that winter's not giving you the blues. If you are getting out and about, please take care of your servers, because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. See you next time.